Another battle tonight, 1 Samuel chapter 24, uh, 1 Samuel 24, a battle avoided, uh, David waiting on God at En Gedi, part two, uh, just a couple things to share to you tonight, with you tonight, 1 Samuel uh, 24. Aren't you glad uh, that America stepped up to the plate, and because we did what we did 75 years ago, the gospel is free to be preached in Europe. If Hitler would have won, there'd be no gospel in Europe today. Uh, but he lost. Uh, he was an enemy of God. He was an enemy of the Bible. He was an enemy of Jesus Christ, but he was defeated. And, and what he meant for evil, God turned for good, and world sympathy was created. And so three years later, Israel declared their independence as they debated it there in England, as they debated it at the uh, UN. They declared their independence in May 15, 1948, and Bible prophecy was fulfilled as Israel was reborn as a nation. So this all ties together what we said this morning that God, God is still in control. He is in control and we see that even through the evil and the wickedness of, uh, of a man and those who followed him, God brought good out of it with the fulfillment of Bible prophecy. 1 Samuel 24 tonight, we find David in the struggle for his life. He is a fugitive from King Saul. As a young teenager, David was anointed by the prophet Samuel to be the next king of Israel. But David is going to have to wait for years before God's promise is fulfilled. He'll be a fugitive from King Saul for just about five years. David went to Gath, then he went to the cave of Dullam, where David rededicated his life to the Lord, as revealed in three of the Psalms that he wrote uh, from being in that cave. 400 discontented men joined him, and he became captain over this motley crew that soon became 600 men who became known as David's mighty men. Uh, David and his men are now hiding in the caves of Engedi. Uh, chapter 3, ch chapter 23, verse 29, David went up from thence and dwelt in the strongholds at Engedi. King Saul went in one of those caves to relieve himself, and while he was there, David's men said, strike him down, kill him. God has delivered your enemy into uh, your hand. David refused, but he did cut off a piece of his robe. Once Saul was at a safe distance, David emerges from the cave and he calls out to Saul. Would you please stand with me and I'll read to you uh, just part of the conversation from David to Saul. We pick up the account, 1 Samuel 24, verse 10. David saying to Saul, Behold, behold this day thine eyes have seen how that the Lord hath delivered thee today into mine hand in the cave. Some bade me kill thee, but mine eyes spared thee. And I said, I will not put forth mine hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. Moreover, my father, see, yea, see the skirt of thy robe in my hand, for in that I cut off the skirt of thy robe and killed thee not. Know thou and see that there is neither evil nor transgression in mine hand. And I have not sinned against thee, yet thou huntest my soul to take it. The Lord judge, the Lord judge between me and thee, and the Lord avenge me of thee, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. As saith the proverb of the ancients, wickedness proceedeth from the wicked, but mine hand shall not be upon thee. After whom is the king of Israel come out? After whom dost thou pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? The Lord therefore be judge, and judge between me and thee, and see, and plead my cause, 
and deliver me out of thine hand. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for David being a man after your own heart. Thank you that we can learn from him in this time of waiting as you prepare our hearts for your table tonight. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. King Saul and his soldiers... battery died if we'll go with this one he relentlessly was uh, hunting David and finally King Saul has David and his men surrounded they just uh, don't know that they have him surrounded and Saul had a, a large army but David had God in his side you know God's ways are higher uh, than our ways and some days we feel that we're backed into a corner we have no way out and the only thing left to do is to look up uh, that's what David did he looked up he prayed uh, we have the record of many of those uh, prayers in the Psalms. And some days God allows our path to be easy and smooth, and some days God allows our path to be filled with hardships and trials and problems and even sorrows. Uh, but he never leaves us. He never forsakes us. And it's on those days we walk by faith. On those days he wants us to trust him just as much as on those easy days. And Gedi is located on the west side of the Dead Sea, just north of uh, Masada. We have records indicating that, that people lived here all the way back to the time of Abraham, 2100 B.C. Uh, why do people live here way back then? Well, because of the fresh water. And in the midst of all the, the barrenness and the desolate area, you see the greenery. And it's been that way for, uh, for 4,000 years. And Gedi means a fountain spring of, of the kid or the goat. In the midst of the barren hills that surround the Dead Sea, there's a surprising oasis of life. Uh, fresh spring waters pour over the steep crevices in the rock, creating a series of beautiful waterfalls and pools as the spring winds winds its way uh, from the top to the bottom. How many have been to Engedi? Would you raise your hand? Okay, many of you visited. Wild goats or the ibex still climb the steep cliffs today. Uh, the very descendants from the wild goats which were in the area named back in David's time. Now, if you were to visit in Gedi today, you'd see why David fled there. Many caves in the hills that he could hide. Ideal spot to hide uh, and to be refreshed at the same time. It was in one of these caves that Saul stopped for a bathroom break. And in God's timing, it happened to be the very cave in which David and his men were hiding deeper in the cave. And David's men said, David, look, look. God has delivered your enemy into your hand. Here's your opportunity. Go, kill him. This is God's way of providing for you to be free of this insane man, uh, this hunt against you. Go, go get him, David. Uh, do you know what most people would do at that moment? Uh, when we really want to support and justify our ideas, we say, well, the Lord, the Lord led me to do that. And I know we all understand that God gets blamed for all sorts of things that he has nothing to do with. And the men say, David, uh, God delivered him to you. Here's a sword. David refused to kill the God-appointed king, verse 10. Now, it didn't take long uh, that even his conscience bothered him for cutting off a small portion of, of the king's robe. In verse 5, it says that his conscience, his heart smote him. Uh, David took one small step against the God-appointed leader, and he began to experience Holy Spirit guilt. You see, when you really want to walk with God, you get bothered even over the little things. Your conscience bothers you when you snap back, even if it's just one statement. You know you have to make it right. And David says, 
What I did is it's not right. I am wrong. There's a righteous principle here I am breaking. And David makes it right. Now, the application is obvious, isn't it? God has set up leadership. He set up leadership in the home. He set up leadership in, in the church. He set up leadership at your place of employment. He set up leadership in the government. And when you push back against the leadership, even if the leadership is making some poor decisions or bad decisions, you're ultimately pushing back against God. So David is waiting on God. And two weeks ago, we learned that Engedi is a place of refreshment. And God is our Engedi. God is our protection. But we also learned that God brings people into our lives to be an Engedi for us. I then asked you two weeks ago, who are you an Engedi for? Who do you bring spiritual refreshment to? Do you bring that to your spouse? Are you an Engedi to your spouse, to your kids, to your parents? to your friends, to your leaders, to your employees, to your employer. Who do you bring refreshment to each week? David, David did three things at En Gedi that I think are worth learning from when we feel that we are being treated unfairly. Here's number one. Number one, there is a time to flee from a bad situation. There's a time to flee from a bad situation. He fled Jerusalem because the king, his father-in-law, was after him. While God may sometimes call you to stay in a bad situation, to do all you can do to work things out, there are those times when it's okay to flee from it. David did his best to talk things out with Saul. Uh, David and Jonathan, uh, they attempted to be able to, to, to bring appeasement, but, but it didn't happen with Saul. And so he fled. Do you know that Jesus did the same thing? He, he fled at times, escaping quickly from people and places who wanted to harm him, who wanted to kill him. Uh, he escaped from a crowd that wanted to throw him over a cliff uh, there in his hometown of Nazareth, fleeing from those who tried to stone him in the temple, uh, fleeing when he escaped the grasp of those who tried to kill him as he walked through uh, Solomon's colonnade. Uh, some of you have had those experiences. Maybe you had a time where you were in a physically abusive home. It was a time to flee a bad situation. Uh, maybe you've been in a hostile work environment. It's a time to flee a bad situation. Uh, maybe you've been in a, a church situation where the, where the doctrine changed or the attitude of the leadership was no longer spirit-filled, no longer a place where you could grow spiritually. It was a time to flee a bad situation. The second thing we learned is that David trusted God to protect and provide for him. Uh, sometimes you may not want to flee from a bad situation. There could be a couple of reasons. Maybe God is going to teach you lessons in a difficult spot, uh, whether it be at home, whether it be uh, at work. Maybe God is, is growing you, uh, growing your roots deeper. If God is in it, he can protect you. If God is in it, he can provide for you. God can provide an Engedi uh, for you as he did for David. It may not be the place of your choosing, but if it's God's provision... It can be just what you need. He put Elijah by the brook, and he took ravens to, to get some food and bring to feed Elijah. And God will take care of you. If he is in it, he will provide for you. He will protect you. And then the third thing we learn is uh, David trusted God to administer justice. It is not my responsibility to wrong every or to right every wrong. It is not my responsibility to make everyone to see it my way. Even though you may have a chance to administer justice yourself to those who wrongfully accuse you or harm you, 
uh, you will benefit by taking a lesson from David. You know, he could have killed Saul, but just think it through. What if he would have killed Saul? Then he would have to face an army of 3,000 very mad and angry Israeli soldiers. Aren't you glad he did it God's way? By trusting God and leaving the matter in God's hands, Saul was eventually punished for his wrongdoings. He lost his life in battle. So what happened to David? David was anointed king. Even Jesus, for many times as he escaped the hands of his captors, he trusted God to administer the ultimate justice when God told him to lay down his life uh, for those who sinned against him. And he prayed. He prayed, and God brought Pentecost, and the people that Jesus prayed for on the cross, many became saved on Pentecost. So three lessons, three lessons we can learn from David at En Gedi. There's a time to flee a bad situation, there's a time not to flee, a time to trust uh, in God's provision and protection. And then to, to let God administer justice. It's not our role to be able to do things that are not our responsibility. Trust God. Let God take care of it. And so as we think about that tonight, uh, we come to the Lord's table and we think about what he has done for us. Aren't you glad he has protected us from the consequences of our sin? And as we take the bread and the juice, we're reminded that the wrath of God is not poured out upon us. It's poured upon, uh, on Christ. He took our sin, and that moves us to gratitude and love and obedience to him. May we pray. Father, thank you. Uh, thank you for all that we have heard and experienced tonight and the, the music and the testimony and the challenge from your word. Uh, God, now help us. Help us to be able to, uh, to do our very best in following uh, the Lord Jesus Christ. I pray if there is one here tonight and they've never made the commitment to become a true, genuine Christian, to become a follower of Christ, I pray, Father, tonight that the Spirit of God would come upon them, that you'd move upon them, that they would want to be able to reach out to you this evening. Heads are bowed, eyes are closed. You say, Pastor, if I die tonight, I'm not sure that heaven's my home. I have some doubt. God brought you here tonight to hear the good news that God loves you. Jesus died for you and rose again, and he offers the gift of eternal life. Sacraments, baptism, or church membership cannot get you to heaven. Only Jesus can by trusting him in a relationship with him. And tonight, with her heads bowed, with her eyes closed, if you're not certain that heaven is your home, I would invite you tonight to open your heart. I'll be glad to lead you in that salvation prayer. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. So if you sense the Spirit of God touching your heart, tapping in your heart, won't you say yes tonight? Anyone at all tonight, you'd say, I want to be saved. I want to receive Christ as my Savior. Would you simply raise your hand? I'd like to pray with you tonight. Hold your hand up high. I want to be saved. Anyone at all, just hold it up high. You can talk to your mom or dad. Anyone else? Anyone else? Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for what it means to us. May you bless now in this time of invitation. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. As we have a Bible today, please open to the book of Philippians chapter 3. This morning, Philippians chapter 3. Uh, if you're looking for where that is, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Just remember GEPC, Gentiles eat, 
pork chops. Okay, you'll find it. Philippians chapter 3 today. In this passage, we are being challenged to become like Jesus Christ, to become like Christ in our attitude, in our words, in our actions, our personality. God is looking for transformation as we grow as Christians. He's looking for change. Many of you have read the book, Changed into His Image. It is our destiny to become like Christ. It is the prize, the goal that Jesus uh, uh, has for us. Verse 14, Paul wrote about it. It is our pursuit. It is when we pray, Lord, I want to know you more. I want to be more like you. And so the purpose of our lives is to magnify Christ, to share Christ with others. It is easy, it is easy for us to forget that we are in a spiritual battle. And then there are these moments in our lives where we see the devastating effects of Satan's work. And we are jolted back into the reality of spiritual warfare. We remember Jesus' warning about Satan and also about what he wants to do for us. He said, the thief cometh, but not for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I am come. I am come that you might have what? Life. And that you might have it more abundantly in John chapter 10 and in verse 10. And so one of the aspects of our abundant life is our, our promise of heaven, our hope of heaven, our, our, uh, what we look forward to. And the Bible, the Bible clearly tells us uh, that the, the best is yet to come. I know there's a popular book out there that says, your best life now, this is not it. Your best life is not now. The best is yet to come for every Christian when we enter God's presence. And so if you would, please open your Bible now to Philippians 3, verse 20. Let's stand together. I'll read to you, to you these verses that talk about our future, our future with the Lord. Philippians chapter 3, verse 20. For our conversation is in heaven. Our citizenship is in heaven. From whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body according to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things unto himself. May we pray together. Father, Father, thank you for all that we have heard and seen today already. You're the giver of life. You're the giver of love and salvation. Thank you for the music. Thank you for the word of God and our promise of heaven. I pray for each Christian. I pray that we will, will think about what we have been given by you and our hearts will be filled with gratitude. I pray if there is one here today and they're not certain that they will go to heaven when they die. Lord, help them to understand today your great love, your great gift of forgiveness in Jesus Christ to become a true Christian, to become saved, to become a follower of Christ. May the Spirit of God do that work of drawing people to yourself. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Thank you. You may be seated. Have you ever heard about the, uh, the three wonders of heaven. I put them in your notes for you to see today. Uh, the first wonder you will find in heaven is to see so many people that you did not expect to see there. <laughs> Isn't that a wonder of heaven? Oh, I didn't think they were going to heaven. Uh, that's the first wonder of heaven. Here's the second wonder of heaven. To not see so many people you did expect to see there. I thought they would be there. But here's the third wonder of heaven. The greatest wonder of all 
is to see yourself there, that God would love you so much and save you, take you to heaven. George Beverly Shea was called America's beloved gospel singer of the last century. For many years, he was the song leader and soloist for the Billy Graham Crusades, popularizing many new and old songs. He wrote the music uh, for the song, I'd Rather Have Jesus. At the height of the Crusades in 1955, he was on board an ocean liner, the SS United States, en route to meetings in Scotland. A fellow passenger asked uh, George Beverly Shea about the upcoming Billy Graham crusade there in Europe. And as they talked, he said, I, I, I found myself at a loss for words when I tried to describe the overwhelming responses to the invitations to become a Christian. I told the fellow passenger, what happens never becomes commonplace. Watching people by the hundreds come forward Oh, he said, if you could just see the wonder of it all. If you could see the wonder of it all. Later that evening, aboard that ship, Shea, back in his cabin, wrote down the words of a song. In the eight years traveling with Billy Graham, he had truly seen some amazing things. Yet to George Beverly Shea, the most remarkable thing was not the fame, not the immense public interest and media attention, he wrote, there's the wonder of sunset at evening. The wonder as sunrise I see. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all. The wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. What a great thought. And I like that thought to dominate your heart and mind today, that God loves you. Uh, Jody grew up listening to his songs. You see, the best is yet to come, as unholy and sinful as we can be at times, yet God offers this gift of salvation. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Jesus said we're all on a broad road that's headed to destruction. But God, uh, God loved us so much, and God cared for us so much that he allowed his own son, Jesus Christ, the second member of the Trinity, to come to live a perfect life, to die on the cross, not for his sin, because he had no sin. He died upon the cross because we are sinners. He died as a substitute. He died and then he rose again, and he offers the gift of eternal life. John 3, 16, most famous verse in all the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have what? Everlasting life. And so the Bible says if we believe on him, we will live forever. If we reject him, we perish in the lake of fire, John 3, 36. Now here we find that God has a special title for Christians, for saved people. It is the phrase citizens of heaven. Citizens of heaven. If you are a citizen of a country, you're a member of that nation. It means you owe allegiance to that country. You are entitled to its privileges, its protections. You support it. You fight for it. You obey its laws. You pay its taxes. Now, usually a citizen, you think of someone who lives in that country. For instance, a citizen of Spain normally lives in Spain. A citizen of Japan normally lives in Japan. But not always. Uh, not always. 
Uh, sometimes uh, we, are, we are called to, to lead that country. And so on page two of your notes there, you see, uh, you see if heaven is our home, what in the world are we doing here on earth? And the answer is found in the Bible that we are ambassadors. Sometimes citizens lead their country on governmental business. When they go abroad, they represent their country. They're called ambassadors. It's a great term. Uh, an ambassador is a tremendous picture of what we are. 2 Corinthians 5.20 in your notes. Uh, now then, we are ambassadors for Christ. As though God did beseech you by us, we pray you in Christ's stead, be reconciled to God. As Christians, before we pledge allegiance to any country, including America, before we pledge allegiance to an earthly country, we are compelled to pledge allegiance to a country outside of this world, the country of heaven. Our king is Jesus, and yes, our eternal home is in glory. We're only away from our home for a short time, and then our king will come. Our king will come and rescue us from this world. But now... Now our king has sent us on official business abroad. We, here today, have been sent to a foreign land, earth, and for you and me, our marching orders are on the southeastern corner of Pennsylvania. The commander-in-chief of heaven has assigned to each one of us this area outside Philadelphia, the city of brotherly, what? City of brotherly love. And all you have to do is go down there after 11 o'clock and someone will give you a bear hug and take your wallet and steal your purse. you find out how loving our, our city is down there. And, and this is where God has called us to be his ambassador. Now, what do people think of when they think of Philadelphia? What images come to your mind? Well, let's start with our past. When we think of our past, we think of the Liberty Bell. We think of Independence Hall, birthplace of freedom, birthplace of our country. We think of Ben Franklin and George Washington. We, uh, we think of Betsy Ross and those heroes. But what about today? What is the present reputation of today. We think about the sports teams. we got the Eagles and the Phillies and the Sixers and the Flyers. And we think of Love Park and the Rocky statue, that underdog uh, uh, boxer that won. And, and then we think of Chili, uh, Chili, uh, Philly cheesesteaks, right? Yeah, that's Philadelphia. And then we're also known for the, the obnoxious fan that threw a snowball at yeah, you know it too, right? Yeah. I mean, that, that's our reputation. So we look at our past, we look at our present. But what about God? What does God see when he looks at the Philadelphia area and the suburbs that includes six million people? When God from heaven looks down, what does he see? He sees six million souls that he loves. Six million souls that he cares for. Six million souls that he wants to come into his family. God has not put us in a quaint and quiet village filled with caring people in loving, living in loving harmony. No, this is a mission field. Friends, we are not in Mayberry RFD. Acts of violence and the grossest form of criminal behavior are prevalent in every major U.S. city. We were just in Las Vegas. It's called Sin City. But you know, every city is a sin city but this is where God has planted us in a mad bad sad world uh, Lord you want me to live where in the Philadelphia suburbs but that's like living in the suburbs of Sodom uh, those people don't love you many of them don't even like you 
Has our king sent us to some paradise island, uh, removed from the, the effects of sin? Has our king sent us to a small town where the Ten Commandments are, are joyfully obeyed and every family is intact? You know better. Is this the, the spiritually ideal sort of place we would choose to raise our family? There is no spiritually ideal sort of place in the world. It doesn't exist in a sin-cursed world. Even the millennial kingdom in the future will have rebels. In the midst of all the blessings of our church family, every couple of months I'm jolted back to the reality God has not called us to shady Maple Lane where folks sit in the front porch swinging till dark, snapping peas, watching the uh, lightning bugs come out. Our world, our mission is hostile. Kids are exposed to too much too soon. We need the refreshment of the Lord. We need to come together and sing the songs of praise to God, hear the word of God, and be spiritually refreshed and have the joy of the Lord. Our world, our mission is right here, right now, when the world gets ugly and people are hostile. We need the refreshment from God. And that's what Philippians is all about. Joy no matter what you're going through. We'll see next week. Rejoice in the Lord. Rejoice in the Lord. And when people see you have joy, when people see you have laughter in the midst of your trials, they're going to say, what's up with you? What's going? How can you have joy when you're going through what you're going through? That's what Paul tells us. Let's face it, as Christians, we're in a dilemma. We're earthbound, yet the Bible says we are citizens of heaven. This world may not be our home, but it is our residence. Isolation is not the answer, but a separated lifestyle is. And since joy is one of the hallmark distinctives, it's appropriate that we share that joy with others. Paul said in Philippians 1, I, I, I just, I'm in a stripe betwixt two. Do I go to heaven or do I stay behind with you? Now notice in verse 20, Paul says, for our conversation is in heaven. Now the word conversation used in our King James Bible usually means lifestyle. But here Paul chose a different word. The word is polituma. Polituma. We get a word politics. Paul says every Christian is a citizen of heaven. Now, the city of Philippi was a Roman colony. If you go, to, if you go to, to Greece today, you go to the northeast section of Macedonia, you'll find the city of Philippi. And, and what he is saying is the city of Philippi was a Roman colony, and the meaning of the citizens of Philippi, they were Roman citizens even though they're living in a foreign land. So look with me in your notes there. They were citizens of Rome living in Philippi. These Roman citizens, uh, they were retired soldiers, they were officers, they were government representatives. Maybe folks moved away from Rome, uh, from the big city to find a more peaceful setting. They're not living in Rome, but they are Roman. It's still a popular slogan today. When in Rome, what? Do as the Romans do. And so Philippi was a Roman colony. You served 21 years in the army. You automatically became a citizen, full citizenship. It was a mini-Rome. So there in your notes, as Roman citizens living abroad, they followed Roman laws. They followed Roman laws. They're living in Greece. They don't follow the laws of Greece. They follow the laws of Rome. As a Roman citizen living abroad, they spoke the language of the Romans. Back in Rome, they spoke Latin. 
Even though Koine Greek, our Bible is, was written, New Testament written in Greek, uh, it was common, it was the international language in Europe. But even though that Koine Greek was popular, uh, they spoke Latin in Rome. So you went down to the city hall in Philippi, guess what they spoke? They spoke Latin. As Roman citizens living abroad, they wore the styles of Rome. The front covers of the magazines down at the local marketplace, the Agora, had the latest fashions from Rome. Every time someone would go back to Rome, the ladies would go shopping, and they would buy the latest fashions. they get back in Philippi. What they did is they, they wore to the parties. Uh, they promoted the interests of Rome. Even though they lived in Greece, their goals, their interest, their support was for Rome. Why? They belonged to Rome. Didn't live in Rome, but they belonged to Rome. Hey, Paul's application is obvious, isn't it? Look with me in your notes. We are citizens of heaven living on earth. As heavenly citizens living abroad, we follow heaven's laws. If ye fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, what do you do? You'll love your neighbor as yourself. It's a law. You do well, but if ye have respect to persons, ye commit sin and are convinced of the law as transgressors. So let me give you two laws from James. The first is the law of love. The law of love. Look around. Don't look at me, now look around. If you, if you can't love your brothers and sisters here in this church, how can you love God? In fact, the apostle John said, he said, how can you love a God that you can't see when you can't love the people that you can see? So he is casting doubt on your salvation if you don't show love to your brothers and sisters. But look at the second law. It's the law of respecting others. The law of respecting others for every person, no matter what the color of their skin, no matter what their nationality, no matter what their dominant sin is. May I say that every person is welcome to our gathering? Now, they're not welcome to come in and to disrupt a worship service. They're not welcome to come in and promote a sinful lifestyle. They're not welcome to come in and promote false teachings. But they're welcome to come here and to hear the Word of God and to learn about Jesus Christ, to learn what the Bible says about how to be forgiven and how to go to heaven. There is no room for prejudice in the heart of a Christian. We are citizens of heaven. In 1953, when Billy Graham came to Chattanooga, Tennessee, to the stadium before the first night of the crusade, he saw that the organizers had put up ropes. They'd put up signs to segregate the crowds. And Billy Graham said no. With holy passion, he mounted the steps of the stadium. He began to pull down the signs. He began to, uh, to pull down the ropes. Crusade organizers came and tried to stop him. He bluntly told them, leave the ropes down or you can have the crusade without me. They left the ropes down. The gospel was preached. People from all different backgrounds came forward together to receive Christ as their Savior because one man said no to prejudice. Now, Billy Graham made some poor choices of what kind of religious leaders he would eventually associate with in his later years. But in those early years, he took a stand for Christ and for truth and the law of love and the law of respecting others. In the early 1960s, he came to Pennsylvania 
My aunt, my aunt and uncle, my aunt, aunt, and uncle Bill, they went to the Hershey Arena and they heard the gospel of Jesus Christ and they came forward and they were born again. And that was the first person to talk to me about the Savior when I was about 10. Anyone here today that heard Billy Graham preach, would you raise your hand, TV or in person? All right, many of you, uh, many of you. The power of the gospel. We live by the laws of heaven. But notice also, we speak a heavenly language. As citizens of heaven, God changes our, our speech and our conversation. Our conversation and words are to be gracious. Colossians 4, 6, uh, let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt. Our words are no longer to contain corruption. Let no corrupt communication proceed out of your mouth but that which is good to the use of edifying, building up others, encouraging others, that it may minister grace to the hearers. But also we speak the truth in love. Speaking the truth in love, Ephesians 4.15, put away lying, speak every man truth with his neighbor, for we are members one of another. Church family, I want you to know that God is grieved about lies and slanders and petty debates, and you find it all over the Internet. You find it under the heading of Christian bloggers and Facebook comments and Christian websites. There are hundreds of mean-spirited and petty-focused carnal Christians. They're not living as citizens of heaven. It is a complete waste of your time to read them, a waste of your time to comment on them. They set themselves up as judges over other ministries by criticizing the smallest detail while they themselves do nothing to reach unbelievers. They're not speaking like citizens of heaven. As heavenly citizens living abroad, we follow heavenly laws. We speak a heavenly language, and then we wear the styles of heaven. God describes the clothing of Christian women with the word modesty. There's not a list of do's and don'ts. Modesty is the principle and the pattern for our clothing. No matter what country you live in, no matter what century you live in, the styles change over time. They vary from country to country, but God says the citizens of heaven dress modestly. In like manner also that women adorn themselves in modest apparel. Now, this is largely the responsibility of moms to the daughters, but certainly businesses and employers and schools and colleges and governments, they have their standards as well upon those who are in their institutions. And then lastly, we promote the interest of heaven. What, what are the interests of heaven? It's the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10.31, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Another interest of heaven is sharing the good news of Christ with others. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Ye shall receive power after that the Holy Ghost is come upon you. You're to be a witness. Now he tells us that the best is yet to come. And so we see that in verse 20. Our citizenship is in heaven, from whence also we look for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we look for the return of our Savior. He said, do you believe Jesus is coming back again? I absolutely do. I do. Uh, the Bible says that in the last days, the Jewish people will return to their homeland. They did. They did in your lifetime. In the last days, the Bible talks about there's going to be uh, uh, people flying to and fro throughout the whole earth. Daniel chapter 12, verse 3. There's going to be a knowledge explosion. You're living in the last of the last days. We, are, we should be preparing our hearts to see the Savior. He's going to return. 
And so the best is yet to come. Our Savior is coming back again. And the Bible says that we are looking for the arrival of Jesus Christ. We're not looking uh, for the Antichrist. Look at these Bible verses in your notes. To wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, which delivered us from the wrath to come. Now that's, that's hell, but it's also describing what's called the tribulation. Written about in Revelation 6 to 19. But notice also Revelation 3.10. Because thou hast kept the word of my patience, this is written to a church, I will also keep thee from the hour of temptation, that's the tribulation, which shall come upon all the world to try them that dwell upon the earth. The Bible says Christians are not going to go through the tribulation. Horrible time, horrible seven-year period of judgment. Do not lose any sleep at night worrying that you might go through the tribulation period. You say, but pastor, I heard it on the radio. I read it on, a, uh, on the internet. Turn it off. <laughs> Just turn it off. Trust your Bible. Trust your New Testament. Uh, the New Testament writers, uh, they were looking forward to meeting the Lord. They're looking forward to the future, not fearing a, a time of tribulation. And so we look for the return of the Savior, but notice also the resurrection of our bodies. In verse 21, he says, Who shall change our vile body that it may be fashioned like unto his glorious body? Now, the, the, the vile body, it means that we're dying. It means a corruptible body. Sin has broken the genetic code of every living thing. Every living plant... Every living animal, every living person, there is a brokenness in the genetic code, and we're going to die. We're going to die. Some sooner, some later, uh, but, but the, the curse of sin, the curse of death is upon this world. Our bodies are only good for a short time on earth. But God, don't you love that phrase? But God, but God loves and God cares and God has a promise that we who trust in Jesus Christ are going to be resurrected from the dead. We're going to get a new body. We're going to get a glorified body, a body like the body of the raised Son of God, a body that has no pain, a body that has no sickness and no disease. Friends, the best is yet to come. We're going to have a body like Christ, a glorified body that can move with ease from the new Jerusalem, heaven, to the millennial kingdom on earth. God's greatest gifts are life and eternal life. One more thing. He talks about the redemption of the earth. What does that mean? Look in verse 29, um, 21. According to the working whereby he is able even to subdue all things, all of creation unto himself. What the Bible teaches in the prophetic word of God is that the next event is going to be the rapture. Christians are taken to heaven, a seven-year tribulation. The Lord Jesus comes back. He sets up a 1,000-year kingdom on earth. You remember the Lord's prayer, thy kingdom come. And when it comes, Jesus will rule and reign for a thousand years from Jerusalem. He'll subdue all things to himself. You talk about universal health care. I mean, it's going to come. It's coming in the future. We're not going to get it now, but it's going to come. 
And so God has left us here in this far country from our heavenly home, but it's only temporary. If heaven is our home, then what in the world are we doing here? We are ambassadors. We're representing the King of Kings. We're to give his message. We're to invite others to join the family of God, to join his eternal kingdom. This world is not my home. I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. The angels beckon me from heaven's open door, and I can't feel at home in this world anymore. Are you looking up? Are you looking to the Savior? Beloved, now are we the sons of God. It doth not yet appear what we shall be. But we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And every man that hath his hope in him purifieth himself, even as he is pure. Is that your heart today? Is your life pure? Is your life clean? Uh, can you pray, God, my life is yours to control? I want to do the will of God. I want to be used by God. I want to walk with you. I want to witness for you. I want to serve you with all of my heart. When was the last time you came to church? And I mean, you truly felt overwhelmed at the wonder of it all that God loves you, that God made you, that God gave you these two great gifts, life and eternal life. May we pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for the word of God and what it means to us. It tells us about who you are. It tells us about what you have done for us. And for that, we are grateful. With our heads bowed, with our eyes closed, as a testimony today, I want to ask you, I want to ask you a very important question. Do you know for certain that heaven is your home? Do you know that if you died today, you would go to heaven, or do you have some doubt? Was there a time in your life that you made a commitment to become a true and genuine follower of Jesus Christ? I'm not asking if you're good or if you've been baptized or if you are a church member. I'm asking if you have a personal relationship with, with the Lord Jesus. And if you can remember that time that you made a commitment to follow him and you've been born again into the family of God, if that's your testimony and you're not ashamed to be called a Christian, a citizen of heaven, would you simply raise your hand all over this congregation? Thank you. You may put your hands down. Heads bowed, eyes closed as we come into God's presence. I want to ask you the second question. If you died today and you have some doubt that you'd go to heaven, but today you'd like to receive this gift by faith, I'll pray with you. My prayer won't save you. But if you sense a tugging on your heart, that is the Holy Spirit of God at work. I'm not asking you to join our church. I'm not asking you to get baptized or turn over a new leaf. Or to be good or sincere, I'm asking you to recognize that only God can forgive your sins. Not a pastor, not a priest, no one but Jesus himself. And if you will ask him and believe that he died for you and rose again and trust him and commit your life to him, God will forgive your sin. The Spirit of God will begin to live inside of you. You'll be a citizen of heaven. 
Now, if you'd like to do that with me today, I'll pray. Uh, I did this as a teenager. I prayed right, right in the center aisle on the edge, 15 years old. I prayed silently. God heard the prayer of my heart. He gave me peace. He gave me forgiveness. He'll give it to you today. And so today, if you sense the Spirit of God tapping in your heart, simply say yes, yes. Would you pray with me now? The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Pray with me right now where you're seated. Sincerely, you can pray silently. God will hear the prayer of your heart. Pray with me now. Dear Lord, I know that I'm a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior. I receive Jesus Christ today. With their heads bowed, with their eyes closed, you say, Pastor, I just pray with you and I meant it. Would you simply raise your hand? I want to pray for you today, anyone at all. I just pray for you to receive Jesus as my Savior. Just hold your hand up for a moment. I pray with you and I meant it. Anyone at all? God bless you. Thank you so much. Anyone else? Now, Christian, if you are physically able, would you join me on your knees this morning thanking God that he loves you and that he has promised you heaven? Now, if you've got bad knees or a bad back or if there's no room or if you get down and you can't get back up, just stay seated. Just stay seated. But if you can, uh, let's, let's kneel today and let's thank God for this precious gift we call life, most of all eternal life. As we listen to George Beverly Shea sing, the wonder of it all, let God's love overwhelm you today as we pray. Sunset at evening, the wondrous sunrise I see. But the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul is the wonder that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. The wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. There's the wonder of springtime and harvest, the stars, the sky, the sun, but the wonder of wonders that thrills my soul. A wonder that has only begun. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think that God loves me. Oh, the wonder of it all, the wonder of it all, just to think. 
can be returned to your seats. It is the most wonderful thing of all to know that God loves you. He made you in his image. At this time, I'm going to ask Bob and Vicki Finley if they'll come forward. Bob and Vicki, if you'll come down here today. God loves you. Jesus died for you. And you can spend eternity with him. Bob and Vicki have been coming to the church for quite a while now. Vicki had received the Lord and had been baptized after salvation. And, and they'll come to the platform for just a moment. Bob has received the Lord. And he wants to get baptized today. Been going through discipleship uh, with Pastor Elstock. And we are so glad that you recognize God's love and receiving Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. And all those in favor of receiving Bob and Vicki into our church family, Bob, upon his baptism, let it be known with a hearty amen. 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 Welcome to the church family. I'm going to let you be dismissed and you can head up to the uh, Baptist for Changing Room here. We rejoice. Good to have uh, his family out with him today as well. Hey, ushers are going to come at this time. Uh, we had some requests uh, to be able to help the uh, hurricane victims there in the Bahamas. I've been contacted by Pastor uh, Kwame Selver. He's been here before. Matt, if you'll just come right down front. And uh, every dollar we give in this love offering is going to go uh, to help uh, some churches there in Grand Bahama and uh, the pastors, the churches, the Christian school. And so if you'd like to uh, participate in that, uh, you can. Feel no obligation, but some have asked about that, and so we want to uh, be a help and a blessing to them. Father, thank you now for this opportunity we have uh, to be able to help those in need. You have blessed us with abundance. And I pray now, I pray for those who have lost loved ones. You'll give comfort and grace. I pray for those who begin to rebuild. I pray for the relief efforts to uh, be truly helpful and then use us uh, to help the Christians there in Grand Bahama. Pray for those in Abaco as well. In Jesus' name we pray.